Welcome to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama. Now your host, Timothy George. Welcome to today's Beeson Podcast. You know how it is when you meet someone and you see how they have grown in life over the years that have passed since you first knew them. Our guest is like that on the podcast today. She was my student when I taught at the Baptist Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky many years ago. I was a young professor. She was even a younger, eager student, fresh from Germany in this country. Her name, Anne-Marie Kidder. She's now a pastor of the First Presbyterian Church of Monroe, Michigan, and she's come to Beeson to speak to us today about a topic we're going to talk about on this podcast, Martin Luther and his wife, Katharina von Bora. But first of all, Anne-Marie, welcome to the Beeson podcast. Thank you very much, Dr. George. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, let's just tell our listeners a little bit about your own background. I say you were from Germany. Tell us about that. Well, I grew up in Bavaria. I was a Roman Catholic. I loved the church. And then very soon in my younger years as a youth, I turned away from the church, came to this country as an adult, and uh, found Christ, or Christ found me. Mm. Uh, so my upbringing in Germany was, I would say, uh, pious, but eventually also secular. Um, and the Reformation meant very little to me other than that there were also uh, these other Christians called Protestants. So you became one yourself. I became one <laughs> myself, yes. Yeah, and uh, eventually not only a Protestant but a Presbyterian. So we won't go into all of that journey, but I do want to mention just a little bit about some of your writings. You've written a number of books, and I wish we had time to talk about all of them. Let me just mention a couple of titles. You can say what you want to. You have a book called Women's Celibacy in the Church. You have a book on the power of solitude, a book I, th- I love this this title, Discovering Your True Self in a World of Nonsense and Noise. <laughs> That's a wonderful subtitle. And then also a book on confession, which you were so kind as to dedicate to me, which I'm very grateful. So what would you say about all this writing? You, you've also tra- translated works from German into English. Uh, you're, you're a scholar, really, as well as a pastor. <laughs> uh, well, thank you. Thank you. That is... Uh that that is what I do in my spare time, I would say. <laughs> uh, but my love, my first love, is to minister uh, amidst the people and to help them find Christ in their life and to see what what the community of the saints is like and what Christ can do in our midst. So that is where my heart is. The writing is. Um, I would say that is something that uh, I enjoy doing. I enjoy doing research, but the people I serve are more interested in how I relate to them and how they find the the truth of God in Christ. Well put. You know, Paul talks about the Corinthian Christians being his letters of recommendation written in his heart. And you seem to talk the same way about uh, the people with whom you serve in Michigan. Well, let's go to Martin and Katie, this great couple at the headwaters of the Reformation. Uh, this is an intriguing story, Martin Luther and Katharina von Bora, because 
obviously he was a monk, an Augustinian monk, and she was a nun. Uh, they both had taken vows of celibacy, which they then broke to get married to one another and raise a family. Mm-hmm. What a fascinating story. So uh, help us understand some of the circumstances that brought these two remarkable people, Martin and Katerina, together. Well, both of them had in their background almost 20 years each of monastic life. Katerina had come across the writings of Martin Luther. Uh, She lived in a cloistered convent of the Cistercians just across the border of Saxony. And Martin Luther uh, had, uh, of course, was well known as uh, through his writings, and uh, he had been relieved of his responsibilities as a priest, and by virtue of having been excommunicated, was also lost also his status as a monk. And so he had been, uh, um, this happened in 1521. He, uh, met Katerina as one of a dozen nuns who had escaped from the convent. And he felt responsible for their escape by virtue of his writings. And so he took it upon himself to find home or husband for each one of them. Three returned to their families, which was gracious of the families because it was not something that one could expect. Mm. The families had placed their daughter in a convent to sanctify the family. That Mm. is how it was perceived. And to have the daughter now come back uh, was not a pleasant thing to witness. So three only were uh, placed back home. The others he found, for the others he found husbands, but Katerina was left as the uh, the remnant. And uh, so he tr- tried to find marriage candidate for her. She rejected that candidate because he was 45 years older and in turn suggested that uh, perhaps she might either uh, marry Luther's friend or Luther himself. So, so she made that suggestion she, herself. She uh, indirectly made a marriage proposal to Luther. <laughs> <laughs> now, that's a fascinating story. Now, tell us a little bit about her escape with the other nuns. That's an interesting story, too, from the convent. Yes, well, uh, one of the a trader, a grocer, had a daughter in the convent, and uh, probably uh, not sure how his own daughter ended up there, but she must have confided in him, saying there are several of us that would like to leave. But that's impossible once you make uh, your vows, once you commit. Uh, it's impossible to leave. And so he was co-opted in uh, smuggling them out of the convent using barrels, herring barrels. Herring, the fish. Yes, yes. To, yeah, fish barrels uh, to, uh, to bring them out. Uh, so that's what happened. Yeah. And, and then, you know, the, there were several who witnessed this incident as this grocer came in with his wagon 
And uh, uh, some of them who saw it said, uh, you know, here a uh, wagon load of Vestal virgins has come to town. You know, God help help us to find them husbands, lest worth bef- uh, worse befalls. So it was in a way, it's, it's sort of humorous when we think about escaping from the convent in a barrel of herring, but um, it was a desperate situation for them too, wasn't it? And so to take them in, to receive them, to find a place for them, as mm-hmm. you say, uh, this was a big challenge that Luther and the other reformers uh, had to, had to deal with. Now, what we're talking about here represents one of the many changes, but I think one of the most obvious and visible changes that happened when the Reformation was introduced, and that was a change in this whole question of uh, celibacy, and particularly related to priests, to pastors, that they could be married. That was unheard of. It was true, I think, that a number of priests uh, did have women who lived with them mm-hmm. and not married mm-hmm. to them, uh, sometimes even children by such women. That was not uh, officially approved, but it nonetheless did happen. But now there's a whole new worldview coming into place mm-hmm. where a family, a clergy family has a role. Say a little bit what it must have been like to live at that very edge of such a change. Well, I, I want to say a little more about this issue of celibacy. Luther was thoroughly steeped in the Middle Ages. He was a man of the Middle Ages who lived at the cusp of modernity. And so Luther's system, his his thinking was uh, driven uh, by the, the the status, the station in life. Where God has placed you, there remain. And the three stations that originated uh, early on, already in the Bible, uh, were the, the, the station of uh, the, the virgin, the one who commits to the celibate life by entering, making uh, monastic vows, taking monastic vows. The second station was that of widow or widower, uh, both of these stations are already extolled in Scripture. We already hear of the order of virgins. We already hear of the order of widows. And then there's the third station, which is that of the married life. And they are uh, number three. They rank at the bottom. <laughs> so throughout medieval history, we see this three-tier system with those who are virgins and commit to the life of celibacy as being the role model, the example of the holy life. At the time of Luther, this system was firmly in place. It had been originally promoted by the church fathers, by uh, uh, Tertullian, by Origen, a little bit on the extreme side because uh, he castrated himself or so uh, one is told, and then by Augustine as well. So this three-tier system was in place, and what Luther uh, took issue with was that it had divided up the population, the Christian community, into these three classes— Well, his doctrine on the priesthood of all believers was one where everyone was on level ground before the cross. 
And so in a, in a radical way, Luther sought to reverse the system, thereby elevating marriage to the top, which then actually uh, we see borne out in history to where Christians who are not married in Protestantism are somewhat frowned upon. <laughs> yeah. So Luther brought about a reversal, I would say, of this three-tier system by going the other way. And he kept saying, married life is a lot harder than any <laughs> monastic rule. <laughs> Many people would agree with him, I think. I don't know. But uh, it is true that uh, Luther was not himself the first to get married. Others, A few others before him had already taken that step, and he mm -hmm. was following them in a way. But uh, I think the fact that he and Katie von Bora established a home with such uh, warmth and wisdom in it and hospitality to it, uh, this became a kind of paradigm for yes. so many others that would, would follow through the centuries right down to our own time. Yes, yes, it became a model of Christian partnership. Yeah. yeah. Now, can you tell us what Katie was like as a person? It's a little bit hard mm -hmm. to know that, but if you were to meet her, if she were right here in the studio with us sitting mm -hmm. in this empty chair by us, mm -hmm. what would she look like? What would she sound like? Who was Katie? Katie must have been, and we don't know this for sure because we have very few of her letters, uh, but she must have been based on Luther's testimony and those of other eyewitnesses, a very strong personality. She could not have survived Luther as a <laughs> husband unless she had been as strong-willed and, uh, and I think persevering as Luther was. I think she toned down Luther's uh, language a lot. She taught him patience. She allowed him to to see what the nitty-gritty of day-to-day -day life was like, and that in all, even in the smallest, such as tasks relating to the house, raising children, there was God in Christ. And that is, I think, the great discovery that she allowed Luther to make, mm. that she introduced him to... Uh, Christ in the small as well as in the big because Luther was a big man with big ideas. Yeah. And uh, we do we don't have many of Katie's letters to Luther, but we have a lot of Luther's letters to her. Yes, we do. And they speak with great affection for her. And yes. he has special names. He calls her my Lord Katie or some yes. things like that. Uh, yes. Uh, say a little bit about their relationship, their personal relationship in marriage. Well, they're the initial intent, I believe, uh, for Luther to marry her was to give her security and also to make a statement about the, um, well, the, 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 the abuses that had happened through the celibacy that, that was, uh, the, the, the mark of holiness. But I think eventually he he realized that it was in marriage that this this small church within a church 
could be created. Almost he, 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 he was a precursor of Spener in that regard, Ecclesiola. Yeah, Philip Jakob Spener was yeah, a, a pietist, a yes. Lutheran pietist of a yes. little bit later time. Yeah. And has this idea, explained this phrase, ecclesiola in ecclesia. That's right. That's right. A small church within the larger church. So Luther saw in this family a small church. They sang together. They had worshiped together. He trained the children to memorize Bible verses. We have paintings that show Luther playing the lute and Katie directing the children in song, in hymn singing. Mm. And so the home became really a, uh, a small church, a small worship space. And it was not just education, but also worship that took place. Uh, Katie had uh, impressed upon Luther to uh, turn this uh, black cloister where they lived, the former Augustinian monastery, which was uh, Luther's monastery, that he uh, renovated uh, so that it could become a hostel. So they uh, they actually ran what I call a small holiday inn. <laughs> Katie did, and uh, she she used the money she made from the the, the borders to supplement the income. You know, this brings the question. I mean, she had a great deal of savvy, I think, in yes. running that enterprise. It wasn't yeah. just their, you know, a, a bed and breakfast. I mean, it was a really yeah. a little business there. Yeah. And, and she managed a fish pond not far away and a garden right. and so yeah. forth, a farm. Yes. She was in charge of really of all of this. She had a managerial ability yes. to do that. And I, and I think that is the probably what Luther appreciates so much in her, other than that they were together in Christ, he he saw that she had skills that he would never have. He hadn't even thought of them as skills. And so his, his uh, terms of endearment for her revolve around those tasks. And many times when he addresses her, he, he will list several functions that she has within this hostile enterprise uh, or this 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 hotel enterprise, and then he adds, and whatever else she may be, meaning he he saw her potential. Now I I was uh, reading a uh, an, a biography on her, and and I found I found out that this was her her skill sets were somewhat. Uh, probably uh, due to where she was in the Cistercian monastery. Cistercians are a Benedictine order, ora et labora. You know, again, pray and work goes hand in hand. And the novices, which are uh, those uh, nuns that are trained, that are applicants to become full-fledged nuns, are uh, expected to go through various departments of the monastery. So there is, for example, the department of the one who oversees the cooking. There's the department of the one who oversees the finances of the monastery. And so various departments and novices had to go through and, and spend so much time in each of them, So which is potentially where she learned the skills, the managerial skills. Was Katie Van Bora a theologian? 
Katie was called by Luther my preacher and my doctor. I think when he said doctor, he meant mostly that she tended to his ills because she, Katie had also been in the pharmacy of the convent. And so she had a reputation of uh, being the town doctor before using herbs. Katie uh, was also his editorial assistant. And in that, she asked Luther often to tone down his coarse language. She, she was not entirely successful in that enterprise, I would entirely, say. Not entirely, not <laughs> entirely. But she tried. She, but she tried. And Katrin, Katarina managed to hold her own in theological debate because we have some exchanges. Again, these are Luther's comments to where she makes repartees using scripture, throwing that right back into Luther's face, who, of course, is fond of quoting scripture, and uh, perhaps if not silencing him, at least uh, making him uh, stop for a minute and think. I remember reading about one occasion when I think his precious daughter had died, Magdalena, Mm -hmm. and uh, he was in a deep, deep, dark depression, as he was wont to be on other occasions, but especially now, and um, for days. And then one day, uh, Katerina comes down dressed in the robes of a widow, a widow's weeds, black, and uh, he's like, Um, what's happened? And then she said, oh, have you not heard? God has died. Mm -hmm. And it woke him out of Mm -hmm. his stupor, and he realized that God is alive, Mm -hmm. even in the midst of the darkness. Yeah. So that shows real theological wisdom, doesn't it? That's right. Yes, and you, uh, uh, I will mention that in the sermon. Oh, good. This good. example. Um, yes, yes. She uh, she knew how to argue her case. Also, there is a painting by Cranach that shows her together with Luther in the in the company of the children, in conversation with Luther. This would have been also, of course. Uh, a, a favorite theme of Cranach, who wanted to promote the Reformation, to mm-hmm. say, look, this is what the Refor- Reformation couple in Christ looks like, and this is what the family looks like. Yeah. Uh, so the, these are two remarkable, very unique individuals, Martin Luther and Katharina von Bora. We've talked about how what they did in Wittenberg in uh, the parsonage, the black cloister that became the first Protestant parsonage, it's called. Uh, how important that was. What can modern couples today learn from Martin and Katie's marriage that would help us in our world? First and foremost, to have as one's goal, Christ's kingdom Mm -hmm. that undergirded their marriage. They were brought together and they labored together. Secondly, to um, show great respect for the other, um, to value the gifts, as we see that in the terms of endearment that Luther has for his wife. She only calls him her doctor. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Although I'm sure she could have chosen other names for him. Mm -hmm. But again, it shows that great respect. Third, Great patience. And Luther himself talks about that. Um, patience with the other. Fourth, um, to become 
a sacrifice to consider the other part of the sacrifice one makes for Christ. Mm -hmm. That is not a favorite term today, the word sacrifice, let alone when it involves a relationship together. Mm -hmm. And I think lastly that this is a this is a, a relationship that is ordained in Christ. And that is again uh something that nowadays is not heard so much. Uh, that God gives us our spouse or that God gives us our body. So we are not in, you know, we are not in possession of this body and we're also really not the, the makers and shapers and coiners of our destiny. My guest today on the Beeson podcast has been Dr. Anne-Marie Kidder. She is the pastor of the First Presbyterian Church of Monroe, Michigan a wonderful minister of the gospel, a fantastic writer and thinker. And she's our guest here at Beeson Divinity School. And it's been an honor to see you again and to have you with us on the podcast, Anne-Marie. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. George. You've been listening to the Beeson Podcast with host Timothy George. You can subscribe to the Beeson Podcast at our website, beesondivinity.com. Beeson Divinity School is an interdenominational evangelical divinity school training men and women in the service of Jesus Christ. We pray that this podcast will aid and encourage your work, and we hope you will listen to each upcoming edition of the Beeson Podcast. <laughs>